from Real FM. This is Download, recorded Thursday, April the 12th, 2018. This is episode 50. I ran out of metaphor. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I'm Jason Snell, your host, and I'm joined by two wonderful returning guests. One of our favorite returning guests is Carolina Milanese, analyst at Creative Strategies. Carolina, welcome back again. Thank you very much. I don't know if you are starting to look like more of a masochist every time you (laughs) ask me to come back, but there you go. We're coming up on a year of doing this podcast, and I'm going to have to send you a gift basket or something because you've been on so many times, but thank you for being here and returning for the first time in a little while, in in about a year, I think. But uh, she is a game developer. She is also a candidate for the United States Congress. It's Brianna Wu. Hi, Bri. It is such a pleasure to be here. I'm so happy to be back. Thank you for having me on. I, I think we have some issues that you might have opinions about. Okay, let's get to it. The most interesting stories of the week is chosen by me and download producer Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. Hello, Jason. It's another Thursday. It is another Thursday. They keep coming. They They keep coming back. They keep on rolling and the topics keep rolling. One of the topics that we keep talking about is Facebook. And this week, (laughs) Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg became a real boy. No, maybe not. He did spend two days in what probably people have like as a nightmare a recurring nightmare which is they're in a in a seat in front of a congressional committee asking questions uh they ranged from or being a, being asked questions i should say his questions uh range from the basic and uninformed to probes about how <laughs> facebook tracks and stores data what third parties can do with it the origins of his uh hot or not site that he did before he did Facebook. (laughs) He also took credit for the Me Too movement. I thought that was a really big highlight uh, in his opening statements. At some point, a senator may have asked if they could just turn their computer on and off and if that would solve the problem. I'm not quite (laughs) sure about that one. There was a lot going on this week. Uh, So let's, I mean, let's just dive in. What, what, uh, overall, what kind of questions and answers jumped out at us? (laughs) Brianna, I know you've got uh, thoughts, so share, please. You know, I'm running as a Democrat this year, obviously. I actually thought that, um, I actually thought that the Republicans had some really, uh, fantastic questions on this. At one point, uh, you had them coming forward and saying like, look, if I am fed up with Ford, I can go buy a different kind of car. Um, like what is the, uh, alternative to Facebook? And I thought it was so interesting that he gave his, uh, competitors his Apple and Twitter and all these other company. I mean, sorry, he gave his Apple and Google, but he he didn't list Twitter or a lot of other social uh, media networks. I thought that was very interesting. I thought that was one of the more informed answers that we had. Um, one of the, the the moment I keep coming back to is when they're asking like, well, you, know, you said Facebook could always be free and would always be free. How do you make a profit? And Zuckerberg just tell pauses and goes, we sell ads. <laughs> and it was such a facepalm moment. I thought. Yeah, that's the, the admission of, you know, we don't like to talk about it, but it's it's, yep. We sell ads. That's, 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 that's what we do. That's, that's a trade secret. They're in the media business. Carolina, what was your overall thought as, as you were watching this play out? I was watching both of you react on Twitter this week, so I know that you were paying attention. <laughs> I, I was trying to pay attention. I actually discovered C-SPAN as a channel. I didn't know that you can actually do that every walking moment of your day, um, as long as your you know heart can actually bear it. Um 
There were a few things that jumped out to me. One was uh, what I said at the very beginning. I think it was like one of the first 10 questions where somebody called a smartphone and a handle tablet. And I was like, oh my God, where are we? Uh, and so the, the first day, it seemed there were um, a lot of people that really, uh, they never use Facebook. They are not comfortable with technology uh, <laughs> and felt a bit like my mom who, you know, doesn't realize that when she's looking at my pictures on Facebook, she's actually on the internet because for her, well, they're on my, my iPad, so they are local and eh, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> So there was that idea of if if these people are going to be in charge of coming up with a solution, coming up with recommendations, coming up with some kind of monitoring of what these companies are doing, we're doomed because they have no clue. The second day, I thought, uh, is, was more aggressive, um, but also I agree with Brianna, there were, were more um, interesting questions. And, and there was one senator that I thought was particularly astute in what he said. Uh, he, he said he was an engineer and uh, a patent holder. So he was a tech guy. And he made this statement saying, uh, we tech guys uh, spend more time thinking about what we can or what can be done versus what should be done. And I thought that is very true about technology across the board, not just about social media. I think the implication there, too, is that there are two ways for uh, for what any company or anybody in the public area uh, can can do, and one of them is they're guided by some sort of internal um, internal compass, moral compass about doing right and wrong, and the alternative is that there's there's there are laws <laughs> to stop them from doing things that are bad. Those are those are seem seem to be the two choices, and uh, it really was a huge contrast. I thought too from day one to day two, where day one Zuckerberg was really nervous, the questions weren't particularly good, and it's almost like everybody got a got a mulligan they got a do-over to where <laughs> where in the intervening 12 hours or 30 or uh, you know 20 hours or however long it was between the sessions they got the feedback of like no these are the questions you should be asking and zuckerberg also got i don't know what a talking to about how to look more comfortable and <laughs> and stick to his talking points and then day two was much more of kind of what i expected from day one which was Kind of, kind of weird. What really struck me about day two, and I agree 100%, it was better. But what really struck me was the the number of people that didn't understand the core issue, which mm. is when you mix micro-targeting with an utter lack of any kind of regulation, it is like hitting the Constitution with a Molotov cocktail. Because like democracy cannot survive in that argument, in that environment. It just simply cannot. You know, for me, I use uh, micro-targeting ethically on my campaign. We find people that care about net neutrality, privacy, encryption is a right, and we send them ads and say, hey, would you support our campaign? But you can also misuse that to send people misinformation, hate mm-hmm. speech to really rile up their most vile, worst instincts. And we We've been here before in American history at the Alien and Sedition Acts with, uh, you know, yellow journalism between Pulitzer and Hertz. We've been here before. So I think like it was really shocking to me how many people don't understand the core issue of what went wrong here. 
we actually covered on a previous episode the fact that Facebook was allowing people to target housing ads to people of a certain races and not other races, which is, yep. as it, I mean, it's a it's a traditional thing to do, also super illegal. Yep. <laughs> and yet there, there was apparently, you know, it was like, it's well, but it's targeted ads. That can't be bad. And the answer is, yeah, it can. Uh, Brianna, since you're running for Congress, I mean, I know one of the things that you talk about is wanting more tech savvy people in yeah. uh, as our mm. representatives. I, I mean, I, I saw a piece today in the New York Times about how um, the issue is not necessarily that the people are savvy. It's that the issue is they need to be willing to learn because they're probably not. No senator or representative is going to be an expert on the details of high finance and the details of uh, how, how science funding works and the details about space and technology and the details of encryption. But right. they can either be open to it or they can be kind of closed off and like, I just don't understand this. And, 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 and behind that is probably a willingness to uh, to change. Are they willing to regulate or is this just kind of for show? What did you think about what was your read on the on the sessions? Did the people seem like willing to learn about this stuff and interested? And were they willing to regulate or was this more for show? It was more for show. This was Kabuki Theater. Um, I, I think it's important to note, like, can I give you a quick example? I'm running for Congress. I went out to the Hingham uh, Democratic Town Committee this week, and they're having a water crisis. I'm a software engineer. I know nothing about water infrastructure. And I'm like finding people all week to talk to about this so I can learn about this so I can put together a plan to address it. Uh, I do think there's a lack of that willingness in technology, but I also think most people don't understand the following. All the work in the House and the Senate on technology, most of it doesn't happen in you know the general Congress. Like the general Congress has to vote on the ultimate bill, but most of this work gets done in subcommittee. In the House, eight people control that technology subcommittee. So my critique would not be that you know all 435 members in the House aren't software engineers. It's that the 15 people that represent those interests in the United States House have no background in this. They're getting tons of money from Verizon, AT&T, and Comcast, and they're unwilling to learn. So you know, forget the rest of Congress. How about just the House Technology Subcommittee <laughs> understands the industry? And of course, that can be said for a lot of things, right? Uh, somebody, uh, when, when I commented on the lack of technology knowledge uh, from the first day, made a, a, a good point on Twitter that made me think about, yeah, I'm here sitting complaining about them not understanding about technology, but uh, how many men are deciding about what I as a woman can do with my body? Um you know, how much they understand, right? So I, I agree that it's that willingness to learn, understand, and, and a lot of time put yourself in, you know, people, other people's shoes, right? Um, because your background can be different because of your race, because your, your gender, because of your economic background. So I think when it comes to politics, all of that plays a role. Carolina, what do you think about what uh, consumers want out of Facebook? Because I mean, Facebook is popular for a lot of reasons that are not about ad targeting. And I know you wrote something yeah. this week about this. I did. We, we ran a study um, the first week in uh, 
uh, April, uh, so before the full uh, 87,000, uh, sorry, 87 million people were disclosed and the Cambridge Analytica kind of trickled down into uh, other companies as well doing similar things. Uh, and, and we asked consumers, you know, first of all, how much they care about privacy and, and a lot of them care about privacy, you know, over 60% care about privacy. But they also see Facebook as a way to stay in touch with people, which is what Zuckerberg kept on saying. This is why he built it, right? And that's why people use it. Uh, 40% used it for uh, keeping in touch with people that don't live close to them and another 40% to get back in touch with people that they lost touch uh, over the years. But what they want is more transparency. It's yeah. not managing. So it was interesting because we had two options. One was, you know, better tools to manage uh, what your data and how you share it. And one was more transparency about how it works and then an opt-in to decide who you want to share that date, data with and, and how. And that's what people want it is understanding what how is working and, and that probably to me was the more frustrating part of these two days how you know every time that privacy issue came up uh zuckerberg was replying with what is true it's like well you know we don't force anybody to sh- to share their data they go on facebook and they share their pictures they share where they eat and they share their hotel or whatever that he wasn't willing to share um but that's not the point is it I know that that's what I'm sharing. What I don't know is whatever else you're tracking and, and how you're using what you're tracking, not just for ads, but, you know, for a whole bunch of other things that you're doing that could seem harmless at first. I went and downloaded my data and, and, um, I was kind of shocked about how much was there. Yeah, I did the same too. I, I do want to disagree with you just very slightly on one point. Um, let me ask you, Jason, uh, what is a double derivative swap? Oh boy. Uh, I used to know that because I yep. read the big short, I think. Right. Okay. But, but this is my point here. You know, what, in the aftermath of Lehman Brothers, we passed, uh, you know, Dodd Frank, correct? Yeah. Um, you know, we don't expect in the financial industry, Everyone that accesses the banking system or using money to understand everything about it, including that practice, which nearly destroyed the entire world's economy, right? right? So I personally don't buy this education argument. I don't. I think like it's, I think it gives people an illusion of control over how their data is used. And I think it's a Texas two step by Facebook. What I want to see is us just admit the reality of most people using this are not technologically savvy. And we need regulations put in place by people that like want to preserve the best of Facebook, but also understand this dark side. So I think it's absolutely imperative we just move away from this education argument because I I don't think I buy it. I don't think the future is ever going to change where people understand all of this. And I don't think it's productive because no one's going to make different decisions. But I don't, I'm not arguing that people should be educated. I'm arguing yeah. that Facebook should make it easier for people to at least understand if they want to. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you go on their page, you can't even find the freaking setting without going and Googling that, that little arrow that you have on the right upper corner is where <laughs> you need to go to find your settings, right? 
Yeah, that's that's something that um, I keep thinking about with this is Facebook. And th- there was there was a piece this week about how Mar- Mark Zuckerberg, you know, Facebook hasn't changed despite 14 years of apologies from Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> I <laughs> love that piece. Amazing. And and one of the, the points there is that, look, Facebook's always been coy about this. Facebook's always dragged its feet. It's made the settings hard to find. It's put them in weird places. And, and you can tell that's part of the culture is that when they realize they need to offer something, they want to they, they know, in fact, and they probably do A-B testing on it to find the least interactive place because they don't want you to change your settings. So they want you to, they want to hide it away. And, um, but, but, and at some point um, it, it becomes a real user interface issue. I'm reminded that the only time that they, that I can remember that they did a huge user interface change that, that per, disclosed more information to the user was when um, they found out that people were not adding, connecting apps to Facebook and they were like mm-hmm. really motivated to get everybody to connect apps to Facebook. Well, guess what? A lot of things happened, including cable analytica out of that but facebook had a reason to change its ui in order to uh get people to connect apps but the reason people weren't connecting apps to facebook was because apps were spamming people's timelines and they did at that point make a really prominent ui change so they they know they can do it if they want to where they said you know first off every time you connect an app it says this app will not post to facebook without your permission and they would also put in a thing saying if it posts who does it post to and it could be like just you which means you nobody sees it or your friends or everybody so they've done it when they've been motivated to do it but yeah. most of the time they they're totally not motivated they're doing it it's like a kid being told to uh, to clean up their room and so they kind of drag their feet and they go slow and they're really unhappy <laughs> about it and that's facebook um are we surprised about the the discussions of uh tracking logged out users and people without accounts at all because that came up a few times like facebook has data for people who are logged out because they're still tracking them through other sources people who don't have facebook accounts they still have data on them that they look up i feel like we've had these revelations before but it's all in the mix again this week I don't think it surprised anyone that's uh, in tech or follow Silicon Valley. I mean, we've been talking about this for years. I thought the best moment of this entire thing was when Kara Swisher asked Mark Zuckerberg point blank, you know, in 2014, you were connecting these apps to Facebook. Everyone in Silicon Valley could see this nightmare coming with Cambridge Analytica. Why do you have such a blind spot for this? And he just couldn't answer it. So am I surprised? <laughs> no. Am I happy to see, you know, what I think we Apple fans affectionately call normal people talking about this stuff? Yes, I'm very glad. And I hope it leads to some legislation. But even better, I hope there are some people listening to download right now. They're going, how could I possibly be worse if I decided to run for office. So come come run for office with me in 2020. <laughs> but th- th- what you're talking about is, it, I think is the crucial point is, you know, the dragging the feet, the fat, you know, the, the answer that Zuckerberg didn't have for, for Cara. Um, that's what, in my opinion, is the part that is more infuriating, right? It's like everybody... Dis- kind of high level, you understand that you're the product when you go on Facebook, right? And for most people, the convenience of being on Facebook is enough, at least, you know, speaking for myself, I said this before on this podcast, you know, my mom is in Italy, I have friends in the UK, in France, um, East Coast, this is a way for me to keep in touch with everybody. Um, could I do it via email? And could I share and send every, you know, picture of food that I eat every day over email? Sure. But I'm not going to do that because I will, I won't have any friends left within a week. Um, but 
the point is that it's convenience and you know what you get to set yourself into to some extent. It's then when you realize how much bigger, and I don't know if it's just being naive or not, but, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think that for me as a consumer, okay, I buy into it. I know that uh, Facebook is monetizing from me. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with the tracking. But for God's sake, if somebody is giving you a contract, the least you can do is actually read it and know that it actually is telling you that it's going to sell that data. Because that was one of the revelation of this, uh, of, of the earring, right? That they pointed out that, um, the original, um, uh, coin, the original, uh, uh, developer for the app actually put in the contract that they signed that he could sell that data. That's what it is, is, is accountability, right? But, but the thing is, I mean, and this goes to a larger issue in the technology industry and in general, which is nobody reads the fine print. They, you, you, oh, absolutely. You get the huge license agreement that you have to agree to in order to open your apps or update your apps, and you don't look at it. And in the end, it comes back to, I think, it comes back to stuff has to get regulated. We've seen now yeah. with uh, the GDPR stuff that's coming out of the European Union that there are now regulations for managing people's online content. And um, some of us outside the EU will benefit from that just because some countries are going or some companies are going to implement it everywhere because uh, maybe they're trying to get out ahead of it or they're they just decided well if we're going to do this in one place we have to do it in another place other other com- companies are not other companies are like only uh, in Europe but everywhere else we're going to do this so that's what Facebook said right Zuckerberg said that yes they will comply but it's not going to be everywhere in the same way right. so that's exactly what you just said I do wonder if that if that's a uh, an issue for Congress at some point to look at the fact that in a way Europe is has gotten out ahead of us on this and does the you know does the U.S. Congress want to have a voice in how this stuff is managed because right now it's kind of abdicated that to the EU and tech companies are building their 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 new policies based on GDPR which you know the U.S. government had nothing to do with and do they want to I, I don't know if there's that kind of feeling from them Brianna do you know like that that do you want to be if you're in Congress, do you want to be the one setting the policy for the world, or are you happy to let the EU go off and do its thing while you sit there and don't do anything? I think this this translates very nicely into our next story, which is about renewable energy. Right now, every other country in the world is leading the way on this technology. They're getting the, they're getting the key patents. They're building the ways to do this, and the United States is sitting it out. This is the equivalent of if the United States been sitting out the microprocessor regular revolution in the 1980s. So I think like we have got to have leaders that get involved on this. I think we've got to start leading the world. It is embarrassing to me just how much we've abdicated any kind of um, strategy in in technology. And you know, the last I'll say, I want, I want to return to your point about uh, terms of service very briefly. Only 0.4% of Americans are lawyers. And I think we need to stop pretending like all of us can read this and or understand it. I do I do go through it and I read it to the best of my ability, but I'm also not a lawyer and I can't like confidently say I really understand what is even in there. So I I think the bottom line is here we've got to find a really good um balance between allowing technology to um you know, move forward and be such a strong part of the economy and we've got to find a balance with like reigning in this dark side. You know, nine out of the top 10, uh, 
companies in the United States size-wise are in tech. And I do think a certain part of that growth has been because we have not given a really heavy-handed touch with regulation. But I think technology has grown up at this point, and I think we need to be much more strategic about how we let it operate in our democracy. All right. We, um, Bree has foreshadowed our next topic, but before we get there, <laughs> I'm going to make you listen to a wonderful ad from a wonderful sponsor, which is Text Expander over from our friends at Smile Software. You can communicate smarter with Text Expander. You create snippets for things you type or copy and paste all the time, and then you don't have to keep typing them. I had people asking me the same question like every week in my email, and I would write the same answer and I would sit there and think, okay, well, how do I want to phrase this? And, uh, then I realized, oh, you know what I should do? I need to set up a snippet for that. And then I type a couple of characters and the whole answer pours out. You can set up snippets for website URLs, email addresses, today's date, uh, answers to common questions. You can summon them on a Mac, Windows, iPhone, and iPad by using an abbreviation abbreviation or search for them uh, using a hotkey. You can tailor each snippet with fill-in fields if you need personalization. It's great for teams because you can share snippets across teams and update them and then they update everywhere. Um, so you can have your best writers write your best snippets and then everybody gets to use them and they have the best words it's updated immediately everywhere if you're on a supporter sales team in legal medical real estate text expander can transform your work leaving you more time to focus on what you do best which is probably not laboriously crafting the same sentence over and over again if you spend any amount of your day typing you need to try text expander it's the smartest way to improve the workflow of your communications and you can get 20 percent off your first year by going to textexpandercom slash podcast just tell them you heard about them on download textexpandercom slash podcast open that in your browser right now or look in the show notes and get 20 percent off your first year when you tell them you came from download. Thank you, Text Expander, for supporting download. Okay, Brianna foretold it, and now it is here. Apple reported this week 100% of its facilities are, are powered by clean, renewable energy, including their offices, their retail stores, their data centers. And additionally, it's working with its manufacturing partners for them to move to clean energy, everybody in the supply chain. Apple's partnering with local energy companies. Uh, I, I texted my mom and said, hey, that solar farm that's down the road from your house, that's owned by Apple. We Who knew? Uh, sometimes uh, they build their own, sometimes they contract with other solar farms. There's an energy company lurking inside of Apple, basically, currently running 25 operational renewable energy projects all around the world. Um, A really interesting story. And so to both both of you and Stephen, if you want to jump in here too, um, you know, it's interesting to see Apple do this. Uh, Running your own energy company inside your company is kind of going above and beyond. And one of the things that struck me about this is surely, you know, it's great that they're doing this, but it also says something about how this is not it, this is still not easy to do if you're a company that wants to do this and uh, will other are, are other companies going to do this down, down the road is this a, is this a trend apple is setting or are they going to be an outlier I mean, I think it's very smart business for them, right? Like currently about 2% of uh, energy use in the United States is data centers. You know, that includes Netflix and streaming and iCloud and all those technologies. But, you know, this is 2%. So if you're talking about that kind of energy, that is a, um, you know, it's a non-trivial impact on the planet and it's a non-trivial cost to their bottom line. So you know, especially a company like Apple that is excels so much at like owning every part of the business to put together something, I think figuring out energy consumption and doing it in a way that's uh, renewable energy, I think it's just a fantastic strategy and uh, I applaud them for it. 
Yeah, and Apple's argument is it is a good business decision that they're they're not just doing this to fee- to feel good or to get some PR, but that it's actually a good Absolutely. move. Absolutely. Yeah, I I think this is a smart move long term, right? Um, it is not just to for the good of a planet that clearly they they're interested in. They've always been very vocal about how green they are with their products and so forth. But this is a business decision, um, and uh, and and I do think is a smart move for sure. Stephen, what do you think about this story? You know, it's one of those things that. You know, we talk about Apple's size, that it's grown so much over the years just in terms of headcount. And this is clearly one of, I'm sure, many examples of what these all these people are actually doing. I mean, this is a huge worldwide effort. If you read that Fast Company article with Lisa Jackson, uh, there's tons of details in there about just how much work this takes. You know, like you said, going to local energy companies. And if they can't provide this energy Apple wants or needs... Uh, partnering with them to make it possible or building solar farms, like all of this stuff. You know, we think about Apple as a as a product company making computers and iPhones and stuff. But I really think that comment about like there's an energy company inside Apple doing all this stuff really is true. I think it speaks to the scale at which they operate globally in a way that at least I don't think about very much. And it takes two to tango in terms of this stuff. Like you have to have energy providers who also have to have the equipment and and they have to have rates that are reasonable based on how expensive the infrastructure is. But you also have to have um, customers for it who want it. And I think Apple is large enough now that they can push like they're they're big and they have demand and that gives them some some clout. And you kind of hope that that rubs off on everyone else. My concern is always that that Apple will buy all this capacity, which is great, but will they? They drive the building of more capacity uh, as well. And I, I, I want to believe that that's the case, that by having a big fish like this in the water, um, this metaphor is going to get really weird. So I'll just say that, that it's going to be the water will be better. There'll be more water. I don't know. I ran out of metaphor there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, um, you know, we're having a crisis right now in this country with infrastructure. Like when you see Flint, Michigan, and you see those water pipes falling apart, it's because they tried to join two broken water facilities with each other. And it's very much the the same way with elect- uh, electricity infrastructure. We've really abrogated our responsibility with that. So when I see Apple doing this, um, you know, my, my real hope is, is that they will open source this and be like a force for good and help set new standards with this. You know, we are going to be moving towards a, a fleet of all electric vehicles soon. I really hope Congress will get their heads out of their behinds and, and get started on that. And I think things like Tesla's, um, you know, wall infrastructure oh, yeah. where you'll have like a power wall built into your house and the tiles of your roof will be built of solar panels. I do think we're moving more towards that future and I hope to be one of the people to mandate that. So it it really gives me a lot of hope to see an American company really standing up and saying, look, we're going to figure out how to do this. We're going to figure out how to do it in a way that makes money. And, you know, we're going to do it not just because it's good for the environment. It's good for the bottom line. The last I'll say on this, and I don't think this gets covered enough. Um, people don't know this, but the cost of building a renewable energy power plant right now is cheaper than the cost of building a fossil fuel power plant right now. If you um, convert a fossil fuel power plant to a renewable energy power plant, it will pay for itself in cost savings within five years. So like this is a, a fundamental shift in how power is created uh, here in the United States and the world. So we really need to get aggressive in embracing this. 
Yeah, the um, the the there's some great writing by uh, a, a guy I follow on Twitter named Ramez Nam, who is a sci-fi writer, and he's also a uh, a technologist, and he's written a lot about renewable energy. And that the, the truth is, the renewable energy is not uh, some sort of weird moonbeam kind of thing that costs a fortune, and everybody says it's going to save the planet. It like it's good business, and the the cost of that stuff is coming way down, and you're you're going to very rapidly end up in a situation where the fossil fuel stuff is really there for and coal and things like that artificially maintained rather than actually winning out in the market and and uh i i think it's also true that apple um this is not an area where i think apple wants to hide uh everything inside a black box i mean that's why they invited mark sullivan from fast company to talk to lisa jackson and all of that i think apple wants to be seen as a leader here because that does that is good for their pr but i think they also want their um peers in industry to look at them as an example and follow it like you said brianna like open source it almost like we did this you could do this too so why don't you and i hope they will and it doesn't get brushed off um you know as usual when apple does something there where people going after them say oh it's good that they do that but then they work with all their suppliers who are not green and i was like okay you know if we're gonna start thinking that way then nothing will ever be achieved right you need to start somewhere and and i just hope that you're right Jason that that others will look at what is possible and and go down the same road. Yeah, just because it's different doesn't necessarily necessarily mean it isn't good business and a new business to be in. Um, Okay, we have more to talk about here that that we will get to momentarily, but I do need to mention our other sponsor this week, which is Slack. Very excited that Slack is bringing us download this week. Slack is a collaboration hub. It lets you organize your team's work in easily searchable channels, use it for projects, use it for combining uh, groups of people with shared interests, use it for teams, use it for your office. Everybody gets to be in the loop. All the relevant information is in a single place. It's easy to get new team members up to speed, lets you reduce the number of emails you need to send it streamlines your communication they have real-time messaging voice and video calls group file sharing searchable archives all in one place you can use drag and drop file sharing that works with apps you already use like google drive salesforce zendesk slack works wherever you do they have mobile apps for ios and android that sync seamlessly you can always pick up where you left off no matter where you are if you have not tried slack you really ought to give it a try i have people ask me why you know hey are you so lonely ice Isolated, sitting in your garage now that you're an independent person you work from home you've got me it's just you and the cat and the dog and the answer is yeah the cat and the dog are great but also i have slack and that means that i have <laughs> i am i am in an office or multiple offices collaborating with the people i work with on an ongoing basis we have fun we also do work and it is it has prevented me from feeling isolated but it also bottom line it's how work gets done it's how this podcast gets made we have a download channel that steven and i are in planning the show all week long and then there's you know i've got that for all of my other podcasts too so i really recommend that you try out slack go to slack.com it's that easy slack.com thank you to slack for supporting relay fm giving us a place to do our work and I want to remind you, Slack is 
where work happens. Those are all capital letters because it's a slogan. All right, moving on. Uh, Before we get to topic number three, I want to share the story you might have missed. A lot going on this week. You may have missed this one. If you remember Snap and Snapchat, uh, that was that social (laughs) network that uh, kids used before Kylie Jenner demanded that it be destroyed. Anyway, (laughs) Snap, the company seems to be readying. I cannot believe this. This is not the Onion. uh, Version two of Spectacles, the product that lets users share first-person video via a pair of colorful, interesting glasses. The FCC published a new filing made by the company for a wearable video camera. It sounds familiar. One of the major hardware changes seems to be the support of 802.11ac Wi-Fi, which would be faster file transfers. Uh, Toward the end of last year, Snap wrote down $40 million in inventory of the old spectacles. But uh, this time for sure, I guess. Anyway, good luck to Snap. Uh, Good luck luck to them topic number three I feel like you're oh, being ahead. so cynical jason why are you so cynical i i well i mean the, the first spectacles first off they hyped it right with all their like yeah. like things around the block and then they didn't sell them like they made huge numbers of them and it was a flop <laughs> I, I okay i'll tell you what i'll turn it around good for snap for giving it another try and not just hiding in their cave <laughs> give it another go see what happens uh, i was i was suspicious when i ordered my own snapchat uh spectacles to use on my campaign and uh i looked at my order and they sent me the wrong color and i go hey can you send these to me in black and they just sent me two of them anyway like because they had i was like oh this must have some issues here got lots I, I, nothing is I, for I, free right <laughs> right well and i do think you know i think their ipo and the way they've run the company like gives me uh some extreme pause but i i can tell you as somebody running for office like i would love to see a version of snapchat spectacles that didn't make me look like um an eighth grader from 1983 <laughs> <laughs> like, like I, I want that product. I just don't think they made it. May, that makes well, maybe the maybe the next go. Maybe they will. If, if if the positive way to spin this story is definitely, I think they learned a lot. I suspect they learned a lot from the first go round, and maybe another version will be uh, will will address those issues. We'll we'll see. Only time will tell. This time for sure. We're pulling for you, Snapchat. Good luck. Um, I want to talk about the bundle. This is this is our third topic. Uh, just the bundle. We we hear about the bundle in, in regard to cable and cord cutters. Are like, oh, I want to free myself of the bundle. But there are new bundles to be formed by companies uh-huh. in the streaming world. Spotify and Hulu have teamed up to offer a new bundle. Spotify Premium and Hulu's limited commercial subscription, twelve ninety nine a month, five dollars less than separately. Existing Spotify Premium customers can do a three month trial of Hulu for an extra ninety nine cents a month uh, before deciding if they want to make the switch all the billing is done through spotify so you get one bill um what do you think of this is this is this good news for people or is this the reestablishing of uh i think perhaps inevitable reestablishing of content bundles on streaming services carolina what do you think well i think this is you know trying to get stronger together right and and trying um, to get to numbers that are bigger than, especially in the US, you know, Apple music is, is growing steadily. Um, and Netflix is, is strong. And so trying to find other ways. I don't know if it's necessarily the start of new bundles. Um, 
but it seems that you know if you can't beat them join them <laughs> is that there's a ver- version of that right where he's like okay let's go and try and find uh people that uh a brand that like us uh is not struggling yet right because spotify is doing well but uh they are growing more internationally than they are in the us and and i think that they are looking uh in in a more concerned way at uh, apple music subscribers numbers um, so this could be a way for them. What makes me pause, though, is who doesn't have a subscription already? And like, you know, I looked at it yesterday and I was like, OK, so we subscribe to Hulu. Um, we don't subscribe to Spotify. Um, would I be interested? And I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> and, and, you know, so how many people out there don't have a subscription already? Um, and uh, uh, the ones that do to one of the two would be willing to go through the steps that it's going to take to take advantage of this for what saving five dollars a month something like that yeah but if you're christina warren who subscribes to everything she's gonna be saving like seven thousand dollars a year because <laughs> <laughs> she subscribes to everything look the the issue is the issues with bundles is the fact that we have a duopoly in the United States between Comcast and Verizon, right? Like pick your poison. They'll send you the same, you know, remote that hasn't been updated since 1992 <laughs> with bad interface. And, you know, you can enjoy, uh, the latest in technology from, uh, stranger things, you know, like that's, that's the issue with it. It's not the actual bundle and companies, like, as you said, Carolina, working together to get stronger. I don't have an issue with that right now. I would argue like, there's so much competition out there really bringing value for streaming dollars like Showtime. I feel like I get my money's worth with that. HBO, Apple Music, Netflix. I, I feel far happier about that. And even though I'm sure if you added it all up and it probably cost more than like what cable did 10 years ago, I feel like the content is much better in part because the competition is so much higher. I mean, let's just see how long like CBS might have Star Trek Discovery on it. But when the only other thing on is Young Sheldon, I'm not sure that's really <laughs> going to be able to compete in the streaming space. So I, I have zero issues with this. I think this is the technology industry at its best. Rightly or wrongly, I think you at least think that you're spending money on what you want, right? Versus, oh, I have this subscription where I have 400 channel uh, and I'm spending, you know, 100 and whatever many dollars a, a month and then I watch three then I'd rather pay for those three. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, there's that um, kind of um, mentality of uh, I, wa- I want to spend money on things I care about. I think some of that is illusory, right? I think some of that is, yeah. first off, you realize you do watch more than three channels because I've, I've seen people talk about that where they talk about like, oh, I'm going to use a PS View or I'm going to use YouTube TV. Oh, but they don't have this channel or they don't have this channel. It's like, yeah, see, it starts it starts to unravel because it turns out for people who literally only want two channels, you know, or watch four shows, it, it makes more sense. Um, what I've always said about the TV world is they're going to get their money one way or another. So uh, yeah. w- whether 
if you all cut the cord, you know, they will charge you for these streaming services and the prices will be such um, that you will, uh, you know, you will end up giving them money for the content that they're providing. Doesn't mean it's not a bad deal. But the nice thing about bundles is you you can save money and that we will say see more of them. I think having it all on one bill like Apple does this where they where you can subscribe via your Apple TV and it all just kind of gets auto billed to your Apple ID. Amazon is putting a bunch of different services yeah. inside of Amazon Video. So, you know, you basically just use one app, you get billed one time basically. And and it's a bundle and maybe there are even some savings in there, but it's also convenient. And and yeah, in the end they're going to get their money. Um I think it's cool. I I and I think Brianna is exactly right like it's a customer acquisition strategy, and Carolina, you said this too. Like Spotify is doing pretty well, and Hulu wants to find some new subscribers, and here's a way to do it. I, I just to get used to it because everybody has realized you can ask people for money on the internet, which is good because you need the money to run the businesses. And now we're entering that new phase where everybody's got a streaming service, everybody wants your money, and not all of them will make it, but bundles are one way that they can team up. So I, I'm sure we will see all sorts of other interesting streaming bundle team-ups in the future because it just seems inevitable to me. I mean, you know, like, look at Apple trying to get into the video space, right? Like, their their current shows suck. They are terrible, you know, well, but they're... they're those like are the shows, up, uh, shows programmed right. by, like, Eddie Q, shows programmed by computer yes. people. And now they've, <laughs> yes. now they've hired actual entertainment yes. industry people and are buying right. actual shows. <laughs> well, I was going to say, like, Amazing Stories. That's on uh, my friend Steve Davidson. He actually picked up that fantastic intellectual property, like one of the formative magazines of science fiction. And he owns that IP that, you know, is working with Apple TV right now. I think they are seeing that and they're like, we have to compete in 2018 to get those eyeballs. But think about how this would have been in the 90s. If Apple had tried to put a um, television show on uh, on cable channel, they would have just bought like you know some. They would have just bought their rights to Comcast. They would have bought their access, and the content would not have been as good for them to get that um, get to get that access. So, I really you know like I'm a Democrat, but I think this is the best of competition right here, and this is really the best of the temp industry. I think it's a golden age of television, and in part because yep. of all that competition that's happening out there. I agree. That's good stuff. I agree. All right. Um, we're almost done. But before we go, I always like to end. We had a lot of heavy Facebook talk. I like to end on a positive note with what we call the Fuzzy Puppy Update. And this, yesterday was National Pet Day, which I, I <gasps> proclaimed to my wife and she said, yeah, it was National Sibling Day the day before. It's all made up. She, she's, she's into the, it's, it's, these are, these are, these are, they used to be Hallmark card conspiracies. Now I think there may be our Facebook yes. conspiracies. Like, let's hashtag conspiracies for whatever the day is. Anyway, regardless, it was National Pet Day. There are a lot of great pet photos out there. Uh, the wire cutter showed like every product they've ever reviewed viewed with a, an animal next to it it was wild and carolina showed her pets on twitter i thought that was adorable um oh. google made some pet related announcement too and that is your fuzzy puppy update google photos can now create <laughs> photo books or movies that star your pet it, google photos also now lets you name your pets like you can humans it identifies them that is adorable and google lens will help you they say ID breeds of dogs. So if you're out and about and there's a dog and you're like, what kind of dog is that? You hold up your Android <laughs> phone with Google Lens and it'll be like, that's a German Shepherd dummy. You didn't know what a German <laughs> Shepherd looked like or, you know, what?
whatever, or something more obscure, I suppose. What kind of hound is that? Uh, anyway, so, you know, good on Google for not forgetting our furry friends. Um, my dog is a boxer, by the way. That's when oh, my dog is a, so yeah, sweet. an adorable so sweet. boxer. I celebrated National Pet Day yesterday with my terrible, reckless Havanese rocket learning she could dig under the fence in wet, rainy mud. And then, <laughs> and then it was follow me to freedom, right? All the other dogs then right. escaped. <laughs> and then all of them escape and they just run for it. It's a jailbreak. So I am driving around our neighborhood in my Porsche Cayman trying desperately to find my dogs. And then when I do, I have to throw two filthy, muddy dogs inside of my Porsche who are then jumping up and down on every piece of it. And there's just mud slathered all over my car. So I had to take it to like a car place later and go like, this, I'll give you a good tip. Please fix this. But I, I always think this is like the most underrated uh, feature in Apple Photos that you can type things in and it will find it. Because when I'm feeling down, I just go into my photo database and I type dogs. dog. Yeah. yeah, don't just get my dog. I get my friend's dogs that have sent me pictures. So I love it. Yeah. I'll send you pictures of my dogs <gasps> then. So what kind of dogs do you have? What kind of dogs I have do you a have? bull mastiff and a kind oh. of corso. That's dangerous. Some troublemakers right there. <laughs> and Stephen, you have a you have a dog. I do. She's uh, sort of just a weird mix. I don't know. <laughs> she's a sweetheart. She just showed up. She's sweet though. Yeah. All right. Well, dogs win today. Sorry, cats. Although we we have cats. Some of us too. We have cats yeah, too. Caroline yeah. and I have a cat. I have a cat named Rocket because everybody named their pet Rocket a couple years ago. It That's turns right. out it's, it's fun. It's a great name. It's a good name. Great name. Yeah. And beardy dragons. Let's oh yes, you do. You do. You also have a very large <laughs> iguana lizard type animal, which is uh, unusual but cool. I will say. And a ten-year-old. <laughs> and, and Bree, that story about the dogs running around in your car, I, I was like, oh no, the fuzzy puppy update has taken a horrible turn. <laughs> it was, it, it really sometimes has. life with oh, pets, no. it happens. Okay, um, much more ahead. I feel like the tech, we, we had a quiet time, Stephen, and now the tech news freight train is just off the rails and running through a cornfield or something now. There's a lot going on, so I'm sure there'll be more next week. But this week... We're done. So, Brianna Wu, where can people find you and the stuff that you're doing? Well, this is really important, Jason. You know, every listener download, if you listen to these tech nightmare stories week after week of abuse and like dangers to our democracy, like Facebook, the, the truth is you have to get involved. And you have to use your voice. So I would challenge every single listener of download to do one of three things. Either run for office yourself, either volunteer for someone running for office, or donate money to someone that's running for office. Like, don't tweet about this. Don't Facebook about it. Get involved. And if you want to support my campaign, you can go to supportbrianna.com. And, you know, uh, Verizon and Comcast certainly have a voice in how politics are run. I want you to have that same voice. So I hope you'll support me there. You can also follow me on Twitter at SpaceCatGal. Excellent. And Carolina, where can people find your stuff? I feel so inadequate now. (laughs) (laughs) You're not. We can't all run for Congress. (laughs) Uh, You can read my uh, weekly column on techpinion.com every uh, Wednesday. And you can find me on Twitter at Caro underscore Milanese, M-I-L-A-N-E-S-I. And uh, Stephen Hackett, thank you for putting the show together this week. 
You bet. I have been your host, Jason Snell. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And until next week, we will keep watching those headlines so you don't have to. We'll watch that freight train move through the cornfield uh, (laughs) off the rails all the way. Goodbye, everybody. See you next week. 